Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, ambassador of 805 Connect and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. And thanks to our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press, for this great studio. And to Patrick, my co-host. Hey, Patrick. Hi, Mark. It's getting good in here. Patrick, uh, we have a, a, a colleague of yours from Santa Barbara City College joining us today. I'd like to welcome Melissa Moreno, who is the Dean of Educational Programs at Santa Barbara City College. Hey. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank What's you. What's it like working at the nation's number one community college? <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I am so honored to be doing the work I'm doing at the community college because, you know, not a day goes by that I don't think about who I'm serving. Mm. And um, it's all about the students. And as an administrator, sometimes it's easy to forget uh, mm. why you're there because of all the issues you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. But I keep in touch by continuing to teach. So I still teach. Oh, so you do teach. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, we uh, let our listener know that we go back a couple of years now. Well, more than a couple of years, (laughs) but specifically with the 805 Connect project, it was suggested by Guy Smith, who used to be at City College. He says, you've got to go talk to Melissa. (laughs) Uh, Because at the time, you were running the Scheinfeld Center for Entrepreneurship. Right. Uh, just sort of my, you know, love uh, work there. I started as the founding executive director oh. of the Entrepreneurship Center. And um, so that was, boy, about eight years ago now. Right. And um, through the generosity of the Scheinfeld Family Trust and Elna Scheinfeld, they, uh, on Jim Scheinfeld's passing, they funded uh, a potential entrepreneurship program. Mm. And I was hired first as a consultant to sort of get the lay of the land and see what we could do, and then um, actually competed to be the director. Did you? Uh, yeah. Wow. It's, it's the, you know, Santa Barbara City College hiring process is always competitive. So right. I was competing for this job and um, something I wasn't really looking for to do, but nonetheless, uh, I, I competed very hard because it became a very strong passion of mine. And so we built this entrepreneurship center, which is going great guns. And now that I'm a Dean, I've turned over the helm to an amazing woman, Julie Sampson. And she's now, you know, it's perfect timing where she can kind of put her touch on everything that we created. We're going to have Julie on the show uh, next year. Great. So we've got her in the queue. <laughs> yeah, next, uh, next year. That's, yeah. I love that. In the future. In the future. In the future. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Mrs. Scheinfeld, what's her first name? Elna. Elna. I love going, because uh, I love coming to the, the pitches, the pitch competitions that you do. And there she is in the third row. Yeah. And I was like, this is fantastic. So what is it about... You know, because when you have a naming opportunity, you get to name this thing. It, usually there was some passion about that thing. Where were the Scheinfelds in entrepreneurship? How did, how did, what, tell me that backstory. Jim is, well, his father is the founder of Manpower, a billion oh. dollar staffing oh. company. So Jim, you know, was an uh, avid entrepreneur and supporter of entrepreneurship and, um, you know, he landed in Santa Barbara and, and really had that vision 
really early on mm. before entrepreneurship mm. became sort sure. of the buzzword and you know entrepreneurs are now the rock stars in our lives yes um so he had that very early vision and um you know he felt very strongly about situating that at the community college level yeah and so i'm right beside him in believing that the two-year college is the perfect place to promote right. entrepreneurship right it's perfect I've got a thousand questions because, <laughs> uh, you know, I started my first business when I was 12 and I had done three by the time I was 18. Now, I don't know if selling tie-dye T-shirts at high school counts as a business, but I did have customers. I was making money. I didn't have a business plan. But you have the students. What's the um, so in a class? Uh, what's the average class? You know, if I'm thinking of entrepreneurs that are working together, a cohort. How big is that cohort? Well, we have probably on average 25 to 30 students in the Great. classroom. Great. We have eight courses specific to entrepreneurship and a degree, an associate degree in entrepreneurship. And, um, you know, we have no trouble filling those classes. So uh, I have a question about that specifically. So having a degree in entrepreneurship versus being an entrepreneur and starting a business, are those two different things or are they the same thing? Well, they're two different things. Okay. So uh, what we do at the Entrepreneurship Center is um, allow students to self-select or deselect. Uh, we try to teach them how tough it is to be an entrepreneur. And some mm. students go, wow, you know, this is where I belong. I'm going to go for it. And other students say, I love the energy, but I, I, there's no way I can do this. And they, so those students, we consider they're as much of a success story because they're developing these skills that every single company sure. in the world needs. And so, uh, so either way, we, we have some students that are on a transfer track to a degree, but I have a very strong opinion about students studying entrepreneurship for too long. I, I, I mm. think that they need to, you know, either do it or, you know, do something else. So what does it mean to, I'm, this idea of like learning how to be an entrepreneur as opposed to going out and starting my business, that was that initial question. Yeah. What are some of the things you teach them that we wouldn't normally, wouldn't normally come to mind? Well, so one of my favorite programs that I created at the Scheinfeld Center that Julie is so uh, fantastically continuing is called Enterprise Launch. Uh. And so it, we really wanted this to be a different experience for students. And so we invited, without knowing that this was going to be so popular, we invited students to this sort of student club. We started it as a student club. And okay. we said, come every Friday for three hours and you're going to start selling by the end of the semester. Every single student. Selling something. Yeah. So you have to create a business by the end of the semester. Wow. And um, we had 50 students just really knocking down our door going, what is this? We want to we huh? want to find out what this is. Huh. And so we really set up, you know, over a couple of years now, we've really refined that program. And now it's part of you know, the certificate program is part of the academic piece right. um, where they can earn units. But um, so we so we really c sort of 
squeeze them into coming up with ideas that are feasible in a mm. single semester. Mm. So that boil the ocean idea that's too large to sure. do sure. that they might do at UCSB, which requires $5 million in R&D. Right. That's not appropriate for enterprise launch. What can you get done and start selling by the end of the semester? And we have had huge success stories. Give so us I want to hear some. Well, Fuelbox came out of that. I don't know if you know Fuelbox, but nope. they're... They're revolutionizing the way we're charging our cell phones, and they're valued at, I think it's $4.8 million right now. Mm. Um, but they are you know, on the verge of going to market. They haven't gone to market. And actually, those students were discouraged in enterprise launch because we knew what? their product would take too much engineering. Uh. And yet they, we sparked this passion in them where they just refused to give up. And so we said, so okay. So persistence. Persistence. We said, come on in, utilize the program and the resources we have to offer you, but you're not going to win. You know, you're not going to win. Well, you just flat out told them. Oh, yeah. If you don't have a sale. You by got in your grill and said, you're not going to win. No, you're not going to win. <laughs> what, and, and so what, how'd that conversation like, go? We don't care. We're going to build a prototype anyway. And they built this prototype huh. that was just absolutely fantastic. It was an old shaving kit box from probably the 1950s they put a car battery inside and (laughs) to power this charger for cell phones that comes out of an outlet easily fits in your pocket (laughs) (laughs) and they carried that thing around with them the whole semester every day and just showing it to everybody on campus they were so proud wow and they're just doing amazing right now so persistence is that something you're born with or can you teach that? Well, there there are certain characteristics of entrepreneurs that what I think those? you're born with, and then certain things you can learn. Okay. So Let's start with what's in the DNA. The DNA is refusing to accept no for an answer. Okay. You can't really teach that. You have to be, <laughs> yep. I mean, you have to be really, really motivated. I call that ego strength. Yeah, and questioning authority, you know, that whole sort of, I'm going to do this no matter what. It comes with youth. It comes with youth. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know. I sort of still have it, and I'm not young anymore. (laughs) Young at heart. Yeah, yeah. So what other, in in the DNA, because this is, I see a list uh, coming here. So persistence, refusing to accept no. Yeah. um, Just not fitting in. (laughs) <laughs> oh, sure. This, this list, uh, and I, I know exactly where you're going with it, but th- this is one of those great lists where, where if, if you just change the name from like traits that make a good entrepreneur to like people to watch out for. <laughs> you know, it's like it's got that same, you know, like, like what, what, what do you what do you want in, in somebody who's, you know, like just bad for business? It's like, well, watch out there. They won't listen. They won't listen to no. And they're, they're very irrational. And well, just, you know. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but we had Yvonne Chenard. No one listens to this okay, show. Good. <laughs> Yvonne Chenard, the founder of Patagonia, came and visited the Scheinfeld Center. And he said he'd rather hire a criminal than an MBA. Huh. Whoa. Criminal gets it done, no matter what. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a re-entry, a recovering criminal, I suppose. Because mm. it's, you know, that's what we're talking about. The one that finds the way to get it done, no matter what comes in your... Rules in your are less important than getting the job done. Yeah. Huh. And and um, the other piece of that is, you know, can't keep a job. Can't keep a job. Why, why, 
So, so I like this no, list. It <laughs> feels more autobiographical every moment. <laughs> <laughs> so can't keep a job because they don't take no because of all these other traits. So they can't keep a job. They're, I've, I've often said I make a terrible employee. Yeah. I'm a great boss. Mm-hmm. But I'm a terrible employee. You're probably a really good entrepreneur, too. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm still working on it. Right? That's why I'm doing this. I mean, I learn more in this show, I tell you, from getting to talk to smart people about these. What are those traits and how do you recognize them? I'm, I'm really interested in high potentials. Um, in in, uh, in HR, we deal with a lot of corporate clients. So they identify who they're, they call them high pots or hips or some something. Who are the one percenters in the organization? We are going to clear everything out of their way because they're the future for us. And the enlightened companies get that, put budget against it, put programs against it, fly them all into New York for a week so that they you know can just riff off of one another. So I like that that one percent that doesn't stay employed right right yeah so let's let's move then so that's what's in the dna what are the traits that um you know if you don't see them the top three that you know you can teach i would say uh some awareness of the importance and understanding of financial Mm. analysis we can teach that we can teach the importance of uh, t- a team that you can't mm. do this by yourself, and uh, the importance of doing as much research as you possibly can before mm. you spend a single dime. I'd say those are the top three. Those those are three very good pieces of advice. <laughs> <laughs> and and also not intuitive. Those are not three intuitive exactly. intuitive uh, concepts. Yeah. No, exactly. You were really yeah. thinking there. I could tell you were standing in front of the class in your mind thinking, yeah. what <laughs> do I say to these students? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's the whole entrepreneurship program in 30 well, it seconds. Takes, yeah. It takes, <laughs> takes two years, yeah. Hashtag get it done. <laughs> Semester. Uh, we can do this this morning. <laughs> yeah, 45 minutes, yeah. kids. Uh, just send in. We'll send you a degree. Yeah. Uh, the... What I think it's interesting about you specifically is, you know, you competed, so that's very entrepreneurial to get the job. You came to this not as an educator, is that correct? I mean, were you an educator before this, or were you? Would you self-describe as an entrepreneur, or businesswoman? Well, I would self-describe as a, a business owner, entrepreneur, but with a, an educator uh, background. So I have this side of me that has just always loved being in the classroom. So I started Mm. at UCSB Mm. Extension, creating Uh, their paralegal training program. Oh, really? So as you know, I'm also a licensed attorney and real estate broker. (laughs) She says as if we're going to open the door and and push her chair out. (laughs) (laughs) But I just have always had this passion for teaching, and UCSB Extension gave me my opportunity to teach for the first time, and I did that for six years. And so I came uniquely qualified with the mm. entrepreneurship experience mm-hmm. and the educational background. What's been the, you've been doing this eight years, nine years the, at City College? Yeah, so I started at the end of 2007, so that's about what's, almost eight years. What's the biggest surprise, would you say? At 
FCC. Yeah, then the last. I mean, this. Well, you know, you you, you kind of knew what you were getting into. Yeah. And let's not go down the all the bureaucracy <laughs> and all that kind of stuff because that everybody. But what was that big surprise? I would say, given the bureaucracy, the ability to innovate, that f- felt free to me mm. as a. Uh, the director of the entrepreneurship program. Not so sure I could say that about being a dean. Hmm. Uh, I mean, mm. I, I have been very innovative and creative this year, but my my time to be creative is really limited. Mm. So mm. I'm in you know, another position that I competed really hard for <laughs> to become a dean. And, um, and so that's been a shift for me. That's way more people management and which is you know really drawing on some other skills that i have right the the bigger the success the less flexibility it seems that it affords you probably you can't move as quickly or to to activate things oh but i find ways (laughs) (laughs) well see that's the that's back to the um you find a way to get the thing done. So that's what's in your DNA. So it doesn't matter what position you're in, you'll learn how to manage boardrooms and you'll learn how to do all that stuff. But the I'm going to get it done, that doesn't go away. And no. the, you know, you're the, just like you said no to the fuel box. <laughs> I'm going to guess administration has said no to Melissa. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just guessing. Yeah, I and mean, you it's a went. Mix. Eh, okay, great, thanks. I'll park that no and gonna go do it. Now again, no one from City College is listening. So uh, <laughs> right here. Oh, you are. That's yeah. right. Oh, I report back to all sorts of people. So well, but it's always win some, lose some. I mean, yeah. that's life. Right. And pick right? your battles. Yeah. So tell us. I want to learn some of the other things. So you're a dean. Yeah. You started this programs. So you're entrepreneurial within an education, in the context of education, mm-hmm. which is, is absolutely valid, right? And yeah. the measurements, the objectives, all of that are still in play. And you wrote a book. Is that right? Did I hear? How many books have you written? Just one? Just or, one. Yes. One is enough. What's <laughs> now you're retired. Yeah. So the book that I wrote actually codified that enterprise launch program. Oh, got it. And it's the... Is it the uh, textbook now? It's a practical guide to a rapid startup, and mm. it is used as a textbook for the enterprise launch program, but it's also being adopted at other community college programs that oh. want to do something sure. similar. So, okay, so so you have writing. One of the things I find is having time to write, because that's really challenged. Do you still write a little bit? Do you blog or do anything like that? You know, that's... I would love it if I could, but right. I've sort of let that it's go. It's hard, right? It's really hard um, to keep that up. You know, I used to keep the blog for the Scheinfeld Center. Mm. And it's just really, to do it right, it's time mm. consuming. It is. And I did a travel blog because I've been in the hospitality industry. What? And yeah, and I, I can't keep that up anymore. <laughs> and yeah, it was, I forget what it's called, Trek therapy or something. <sighs> and it was how to, how to, you know, live luxuriously on a you know really low budget i'm really good at that what's the secret next best place to go that everybody's going to be talking about next year i've heard i've heard uh uh, eastern mexico from a few people well maybe cuba's already passe but i think it's cuba oh Oh, cuba yeah Yeah, sure there you go 
Nicely done. There you go. Very good. Yeah, I like that Cuba. So, so you and you have you own a hotel? Is that correct? Well, you know, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm re- you, we learn a yeah, lot of things out on yeah, uh, yeah. you know your digital footprint in, yeah. implies you yeah. have a hotel. In 1992, I became co-owner of a hotel and okay. was working in a property management business with my partner and. Um, then in, in uh, about three years ago, we broke up the partnership and sold it. And I took my money and ran to Montana and purchased a hotel. Another hotel. On my own because it was sort of what I knew. Sure. And so um, that was incredible. It, it was located in Bozeman, mm. Montana, which is just so beautiful. Mm. And mm. Somehow when I go there, I can breathe. Mm. Mm. It's just beautiful. And I just sold it. So I, I did like this. Oh, you just sold it? Three mm-hmm. year. So, so after 23 years of being in this business, I had a general manager, 16 uh, employees, a team that I loved. And I had an unsolicited offer. I wasn't planning on selling it. Right. I mean, this has been my you know, sure. e- alter ego for a long, long time. I had an unsolicited offer. And, you know, I said, you know, here's what I want to make this transaction worth my while. And they walked right in and it closed in 30 days. And so I'm going through withdrawals, actually, because my my full time job feels like feels like not enough for me yeah. right now. But and that's a big job that I have. I so would think so. I have weekends off now, which I don't, and I don't know what to do with myself. You're supposed to write into that sale that you can still come back and be the big boss at the hotel. <laughs> just like just anytime you show up, free room, and you get to be the big that's boss. That's right. Yeah. So that feels weird. Well, that sounds like you're ripe for a new opportunity then. I, I'm, it's yeah. kind of like that the same thing as empty nesters get. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's right. just got this, all of a sudden we've got this huge piece of time, yeah. which will quickly evaporate, guaranteed. If yeah. only you knew where there was a program of young entrepreneurs that were like getting oh. ready to start up with really interesting new investigative projects. <laughs> if only there was something like that near you. We're, we're still looking for that. Yeah. Well, Let's talk about the startup ecosystem in the 805. Okay. Uh, for, you know, one of the genesis of the 805 Connect project actually was up at City College, that big meeting that was uh, Senator Jackson had and everybody was involved. And we listened to Brad Feld uh, via Skype talk about startup communities and everybody's like, oh, it's, it, there's something happening. We don't know what it is exactly. Six, eight weeks later, um, Gerhardt down at California Lutheran had uh, the second startup community of the Central Coast meeting. There were like 110 people there. And now, the, you know, up in San Luis Obispo, we've got Hot House. We had Judy in here uh, on the show talking. We have Mike Panessis um, down running that outreach program for uh, Calu and Gerhardt. We've, um, we have the Impact Hub, which is opening you know, up on uh, State Street here in Santa Barbara. There's stuff in San Ru- There's nine of these things going on. What does that feel like, being in the middle of that? Well, um, I'm, I'm really actually, I'm a little concerned mm-hmm. because of the lack of funding. So you can open up all of these, you know, entrepreneurial hubs but if you don't have a really clear funding stream for these startups 
uh, and, and in particular, I'm concerned about sort of the market push products that come out of Santa Barbara City College. Funding is really challenging. That revenue stream as well. So there's two, but there's two pieces. Just to be clear, yeah. there's the funding that an individual organization that's been incubated or accelerated. There's that piece, but then there's the funding, the operations of an incubator. Yes. Is that? I'm talking about s seed capital. Got it. So there's so many. There's not enough funding to go around. I think so. I mean, the the high tech. Um, sort of medical arena, um, and now UCSB is talking about the Photonics yep. Manufacturing Institute, yep. and um, there's money there, but is there funding really for uh, startups to survive in Santa Barbara at sort of a small business level? And that's a big chunk of what we should be doing, looking at a entrepreneurial community I think it's a missing piece and and so that's something that we're working on at the Scheinfeld Center actually is to you know raise awareness of the kind of funding that we need to bring into our community that's sort of a low-tech level that funds you know the, the the people that are going to create a business and create jobs in our community that have staying power. When that's the, that was when the Santa Barbara Foundation came to us, I said, well, wh why are we doing this? Why would you want something like an 805 Connect to exist? And, and it's, it's about jobs, it's about economic vitality, it's about great education that lowers crime rates, it lowers poverty, it's, it's everything kind of gets back to that. We need fuel though. Right. Right, we need fuel and so do you feel that there's a glut of new ideas? We've created all this infrastructure to incubate new ideas, and we've got too many of them? Or isn't that, op I mean, couldn't, maybe we're not doing a good enough job of marketing that we have all these great ideas and we go outside to find outside money to bring in? Well, or is it being done backwards? Like, mm -hmm. are we, you know, sort of like what we teach before you put a dime into anything, do we have the customers? Mm. And I know we have, of course, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur and everybody's got an idea, but how are we going to get these ideas launched with staying power? You right. know, it's like 50% of all startups are dead in the first five years. Or Only 50? Yeah, I mean, yeah it may, it's 50% of whatever's left each year following, so it's right. an exponential right. no, exactly. declination. Are you, are you also talking then about uh, the struggle of just the resources for a startup? So um, if I were in uh, Bakersfield, I might have access to a lot of real estate. I might have access to the to the, the place to make to, to, to build out and, and start to really increase my you know uh, my footprint. But the but there's no market there. There's no there's no investors coming there. There's so it's like but here in Santa Barbara where we might have the investors, we don't have the real estate. We don't have the kind of uh, just the basic cheap resources to to make the first part of my business go. That's very challenging. So mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. a gr it's you know building out your business in your garage is right. what we've become that garage community, and I I question that we have the right mix of investors. Mm, mm -hmm. That's what I'm questioning. That we need to have more attention on the kind of investment 
that really um, launches the the students at UCSB and Santa Barbara City College and those kinds of ideas that are coming out. So you have a center that's that's nurturing entrepreneurs with ideas, and so you probably we also need a center that nurtures investors. Exactly and, what we're oh, working on. Yeah. Yes. Really. Well, we're trying to, you know. Uh, gather an investor circle sure. that are interested in the kinds of businesses that are coming out of Santa Barbara City Because they might have revenue, they might have, have economic you know, money that they're looking to, to support, but they don't necessarily, how do I spend the money that I want to spend? And how do they really even know what we're doing? Yeah, how do we vet if, anybody? How do we mm-hmm. get there? Uh, so this got me thinking that there's this process that you have where we've got all of these ideas. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's that's no no to the fuel cell guys. Yes, no. Yes, no. Is part of the decision matrix then? Can we fund this? Is this something that could be done in Santa Barbara? Or this would be a great idea for. We'll stay with Bakersfield. Um, do, is that all real? And and the other second part of that question is we tend to think of uh, startups as all software tech based when in fact that's seven percent or something there's all these other things that we need in life that we don't know we need yet those aren't as sexy to the investors so is that a part of it as well it is and really we tell students if you think you're going to get an investor to invest a million dollars in your app you're mistaken it's it ain't happening and, um, and so what can you do to launch something with $10,000 or less? That's mm. our benchmark. And then the, the concept is get a prototype, do your market validation, talk to as many customers as you can, interview, you know, 100 customers locally. And if you get sales going, then you start pitching your idea because you've got sales you you've yep. proven concept yep. and you know build it to a certain extent and then get the hell out sell it hmm. oh really oh yeah and then go on to your next bigger idea interesting so fuel a, boxes, a starter business yeah and fuel box has broken all those rules <laughs> but but they you know they're not to market yet it, mm-hmm. and every day that goes by that they're not to market is it increases risk. They're burning, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, let's talk about market validation for a second. Um, okay. Is Frank Robinson at all involved in what you do, and do you know the name? I don't know who that is. He's the guy who invented the whole idea of the minimal, minimally viable product, oh, the MVP, okay. yes. which is and and the process by which you do market validation. Uh, in 1985, 86, we were his, Wavefront was his seventh client. Oh, He's fantastic. in Montecito. Okay. He's the guy who's the grandfather of this whole idea of sell, then build. So Steve Blank has mm. ridden yep. Frank's coattails, apparently. <laughs> Ex- exactly, exactly. So Steve Blank is the, is the name that's known. Uh, Frank is the one who taught us. I went on many, many customer validation trips and learned that it's so in my DNA is that's how you do things. I couldn't think of another way to do it. Yet that's kind of a foreign concept to people, isn't it? It really is. And uh, it's, it's counterintuitive in some sense. And, 
And to get students to do this mm. is really hard. Um, but it's part of the requirement. So I can give you an example of an idea. We sure. had students come into the classroom with an idea for uh, a, a new version of uh, luggage. Oh. And it was for, you know, they just had this great idea. I don't want to sort of share it um, with you, but it was really creative kind of new suitcase. And so it was very difficult for them to build a prototype. Because how do you build a prototype with a mm. suitcase? So mm. um, we encourage them to take apart a suitcase, use cardboard if you have to, whatever it takes to kind of create this visual of what's in your head so that people will understand what mm -hmm. you're talking mm. about. And they went to the airport, and this was their idea. We told them they had to talk to 100 customers. So they went to the airport, and they s hung out at baggage claim and talked to over 250 people. And oh the gosh. feedback they got was incredible. So the the underlying concept was to be able to organize certain types of clothing, like your socks over here, your T-shirt over here, or whatever. And um, what they learned was that the ordinary traveler could care less. They just throw huh. their stuff huh. into their suitcase, zip up, and go, especially if they're going on vacation. And it wasn't a big enough change, what they were pitching. Right. But the executive travelers loved the idea. Mm. And, and they hadn't, hadn't even considered that. They hadn't considered it. Wow. and And the executives were also willing to pay closer mm. to their price point of this really high-tech uh, suitcase. And so they just learned uh, so much about what to do next with their prototype. And then they developed it further. I don't know what happened to the, to the, that particular business. I'm not sure if those students continued with the concept or not, but they learned that it was going to take a lot of engineering to really get what they wanted. But this crude prototype was just so critical for their feedback. You have to be able to feedback. touch it. People have to feel. So let's go back to the that part of the in the DNA is saying no, right? So rebel, I'm on the edge. I've got a better way. Now you tell the students, we know the best practice is a rigorous market validation, rigorous research. And they rebel against that. No, you're wrong. But you, in this one, your certainty is stronger than theirs. How do you break past that knownness and get them to do that? And then I'm going to guess they flip and see how important that was. Do you have a, an example of that? Well, it's it has to be self-discovery. It mm. has to be. And we can't shove anything down their throats. And But they learn that on their own because if they have this, you know, we teach them you can't you can't be an entrepreneur for yourself. You, everything you do is hmm. for a customer. You're building a product for someone else, not yourself. And every single student comes in the class with this great idea for themselves. And hmm. they learn very quickly that either it, it is this awesome idea that other people love too, or they learn it's not a not a good idea for the masses that not, not everybody's going to be interested or have the same sort of pain point that they have so how is that different they'll say um you hear a lot of success stories like i had a problem packing my luggage hmm. like that was my problem i think so then it was like i'm really passionate about that now i'm going to find other people who have that problem 
it was interesting what you said. You can't be an entrepreneur for yourself. You'd say that again, because there was something really interesting in there. Because it was, you can't be an entrepreneur for yourself. It's you. It's for your customer. Yeah, uh, you. You really. Your number one partner is your early, you know, product evangelists, if you will. Those mm. are your partners. Is your customers? They're the ones that are telling you what to do, as an entrepreneur. It's not coming from you at, at a certain point. I mean, yeah, great ideas come from your own personal pain. That's a great way to, you know, uh, come up with ideas is your personal pain or all of a sudden observing other people's mm-hmm, pain mm-hmm. and then figuring out how the customer wants you to address that pain. Mm. And your idea of how to address it might not be what everybody else wants. So to this idea of um, the number one partner is that customer evangelist, and I listen to them, and I totally I, I ascribe to that. Then you have a guy, Steve Jobs, who says, they don't know what they want. I know what they want. And his strength of ego and his strength, all of that it was maybe one on the planet Yet still, he said, "You don't know what you want. I do." So he would never. He wouldn't ask anybody. How was how was that so successful? Well, we talk about that do in you? the classroom because he failed a bunch. Yep. yep. <laughs> so no, he, yeah. So he yes. had great ideas. I mean, no question, right? But I mean, one of the stories that I love, and I don't know which Steve Jobs book or movie this came from, but. He hated the uh, PC fan, right? The the mm. that motor that mm-hmm. roars all the time. Yeah, sure. It drove him crazy. So he hit one of his first iterations was to just get rid of that gosh darn fan huh. <laughs> because it's awful as a user. And then the whole innards of the computer burnt. So he realized you got to have a fan <laughs> to keep the the sure. the uh, the inner workings cooled down um, but he figured out a way where it's not annoying to the user and that's part of you know the MacBook Pros that we all have or the mm. iPads and we'll get rid of moving parts then yeah. things don't you don't have friction and you remove heat yeah well so. we, we in the art department we always talk about that that's that's an aesthetic nobody had a, everybody had solved the functional problem of the fan like the fan solves the problem of the heat and and but nobody had ever addressed the aesthetic problem of the fan, which was that it just didn't aesthetically match with what he was looking for. And yeah. so that's all the time you can find little moments of innovation where if you just apply the aesthetic over the function, which is mm. not to say removing the function. And he he went too far by removing the function. But that's that's the question is like how can you balance function and aesthetic, and that's where you get the product. And that's what I always hear about Apple. And that's my little two bits. Thank you. <laughs> I love. I it, it's. It, what do they say? Success leaves clues. Yes. Right. And we want to go study those people and figure out what, what worked and what, what didn't work and how much is the, the cult of personality. And, and let's talk about that for a second. So when you've got, you've got founders, you've got these two, one or two people, hopefully it's two. It's, I think, better when you have two. There's just, there's, there's just something about two at the very beginning. You can bounce. You don't feel like you're the Lone Ranger. Um, how strong is that the personality to for those kids to be successful what's how do you measure that when you're looking at it you've got a great idea great but they kind of got a wishy-washy presentation or they're just kind of passive yeah you know 
That's a really good question because we get students that you would assume just by their character or their demeanor or their behavior that they are the least likely to succeed. Mm. The quiet one in the back of the room that's Mm -hmm. never wanting to share Mm -hmm. or participate or, God forbid, present ever. Right. And in this environment, we really push students to come up to the front of the room and pitch. They pitch every single day. And after a while, it becomes second nature. And then after they start to get this sort of sense of it's okay to speak and to Mm -hmm, share mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. you're not going to get, you know, slammed or judged, then we really start sticking it to them. (laughs) (laughs) After we've broken them in a way, then we really, you know, we go in. This is what really happens. Well, really, because they need to have that critical feedback or they're not going to advance. Mm. And so it's really open in a way where it's like, you know what, you know, they, they pitch and then you give them this really tough feedback, mm-hmm. but they see that for every single student. And so, so they're not singled out. They don't take out. it personal. They don't take it personally. And we talk about that. And it's like, you know, you, you, you've got to have eye contact. You've got to smile. You, you've got to stand up straight, you know, and can you put some shoes on and, <laughs> and you know, sure. and quick click in the pen while you're talking and, 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 you know, and what about this and what about, and so we kind of, we look at them physically and their, um, their nonverbal cues sure, and sure. the transformation wow. from day one to, you know, week 16 it, it's just mind boggling and they have this sense of self and confidence and then they show up at that pitch competition right. and they, they pull it out beyond what we ever even saw in wow. the 16 weeks. Wow. I mean, sometimes like I come to tears because oh, I am so sure, proud sure, sure. of what they did and, and what and even just like from the night before, practicing mm. until midnight, and mm-hmm. what they do mm. on stage at the competition is absolutely incredible. That, so that stage is like a crucible. Exactly. Right. It's that that fear. Uh, all of those things come together, and it's only sixteen weeks. I mean, that is a blink, right? And they've had to come up with a business under ten thousand dollars, find customers, do, and the, the, I, I'm going to guess the checklist. If, you, and I'm going to guess you have, there is a checklist. There's a checklist in my book. And there's probably <laughs> 200 things on that checklist. <laughs> yeah. Am I, I'm not. Well, I mean, the book basically is that checklist of right. everything you need to do to start a business quickly. What's the name of the book? It's called The Practical Guide to a Rapid Startup. You get it on Amazon? Yeah. Great. It's like 30 bucks or 12 in an ebook or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. So. I want to finish with, um, we had a, a clinical psychologist in here, world famous guy, advises CEOs. Because a lot of times the CEO, there's no one to talk to, right? It's lonely that, at the top. It <laughs> is. It, it, it is. But you can't be alone. You, you, you need to have someone in. And so he's developed a, a practice around that. And we talked at length about what were the you know skills. I'm really interested in those skills. Like, and then auditing. Do you have those skills? Our listener right now is thinking, do I have those things that it takes? What do you think the superpower is 
that you have to have if you only had one as an entrepreneur to be successful? So what's going through my mind is an argument hmm. between luck and passion. I can't decide. So luck is, uh, also say maybe timing. That's involved with luck, I'd say. Right. At the right time, is that's pretty critical. I thought you meant the argument. Because no. I think that's a great thing to have, is just the ability to have an, an, an argument. A rationale. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm arguing between luck. <laughs> is it luck or passion? See, there we go. <laughs> yeah. That was an example of it. Yeah. Well, I, th this this conversation has just you know, so 45 minutes, boom, just like that, come and gone. And Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. One of the the fun parts of the show, our listener waits all the way to the end of this <laughs> part because uh, they've not clicked off. We we do we know this. We know how long you listen. <laughs> we do really. Uh, is that to Part of the podcast success of an individual episode and getting people to listen is what it's called because we've got to entice them. Like, so you already know this, the name of the product, the name of the company, how do I create a little mystique? What are, what are all of those things? Because I don't want to get lucky <laughs> that they happen to listen to it. So uh, a great title is really as important as great content. So for this show, what we've talked about, you get dibs on giving it a title. What should we call the show? I'd say... Uh, do you want to be an entrepreneur? Okay. I love it. See, we always, th this, just so you know, that, remember you said you see it happen to everybody else. So in this show, we have these quiet periods where people are thinking, and, and the listener's thinking as well, like, what should it be? That's what we'll do. We'll get them to uh, suggest alternate titles. That'll be uh, that'll what, be fun. What, the listeners? Yeah. Okay. Because they listen. They it'll go, be, well, what would I call it? It'll be in Finnish, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're very well represented in Finland. Hi, Finland. Yes. And Aruba. We have 40 listeners in Aruba. Fantastic. I had to go get a map. <laughs> it's out. Where the heck is Aruba? So thank you. So do you want to be an entrepreneur? I was like, do you have what it takes? And uh, I thought we covered that subject really, really well. Um, how do people find, so we know the book and how to find that, but how do they find out more if they, it's like, you know, they're maybe mid-career I'm going to go back to school because I know the city colleges, that's a huge part of the population. It's not just 19-year-olds. How do they find the center? So they can go to uh, SBCC uh, website and find uh, the Scheinfeld website, which is really uh, great and has a lot of resources. Even oh. Oh, even great. if you don't want to come to the college, we ha we've logged all of our videos with entrepreneurs uh, and so it's scheinfeld.sbcc.edu. There you go. Perfect. Thank you. And I want to thank again California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Poolstring Press. I, I just love these conversations in this great studio. 
and Cielo24, who provides the searchable captions for our show. 805 Connect Project is supported exclusively by partners and sponsors throughout the region. I want to thank them and their continued support. More information on 805 Connect Partners at 805connect.com. So, Patrick, um, I, our listeners have been waiting to hear how they could help us. I'm always coming up with uh, with new ideas for for our listener out there to be our advocate and yep. to support us. So this is mine for uh, for this episode. Uh, go find your friend who's listening to a podcast when somebody says, hey, this is my new favorite podcast, and get into an argument with them about how much 805 is probably a better podcast. And Ooh. then get, get that argument going and then get them to subscribe to this show. And, and how do you do that? Well, you just grab their uh, phone when they're not looking and uh, pull up the podcast app and uh, hit subscribe on 805 conversations and we come at the top of the list it couldn't time. be any easier than that and i would love to hear from you personally so if you've got an idea there was something that triggered uh, an idea for you uh, of someone you would like to hear us talk to send me a note mark at 805 connect.com and i will uh, read that and reach out to that person uh, the show is quite popular we get a lot of ideas so that's fantastic so until next time this is mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. Thank you.